and and really for for especially for those real estate investments, I don't have to worry about it to the to every single dime or to get the exact best return out of it. I mean, you just want to make educated decisions and get the best out of your money, but not have to worry about it every day. Um, what what's what's going to be down the road in five years, ten years? So our whole philosophy has always been just save as much as we can. We've always been very frugal. Um, I didn't do anything special here. Like I, we we chatted on the pre-call, like Brian, what, what makes you special? What should we focus on here? And there's really nothing, honestly, guys. I mean, this that's why I love your show. And what we do is we didn't do anything out of the ordinary other than live below our means, not crazy below our means. I bought my wife a Mercedes, right? So we didn't do anything lavish, but other than buy them buy my wife a Mercedes, but. We just saved. We saved on the. (laughs) You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires in Vote podcast. This is episode number 274. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. And looking forward to the new year. I know I sure am. We've got a lot of great things coming in uh, 2023. While everyone was probably getting ready and geared up for Christmas, quite the, uh, quite the change inside of uh, the government. Congress passed a major bill, probably the largest overhaul of retirement uh, accounts in, in quite some time. So I'm not going to go into every single one, but I think some of the major highlights are, are adjusting the uh, required minimum distribution age uh, from 72, which was changed, I guess, just a couple of years ago, uh, to 73, which is interesting. Now you got a little relief on missing an RMD. The penalty's not as severe and then uh, some exceptions on the 10% early withdrawal penalty. And then they did a bunch of things to encourage savings for for those small employers in this country to, to get a retirement plan startup tax credit. Uh, you get some solo 401ks and, and some other things. Uh, I think another major interesting change, I think it'll take place for 2024 is the option for employers to match on Roth 401k contributions. So there's a lot of uh, different things in this bill. Once again, probably one of the largest overalls. Uh, so definitely go check that out. May be applicable, may not be to, to your situation. But as it, as it relates to kind of a lot of the content and the things that we talked to about with our guests, I think there'll be some strategy changes. I know I'm already starting to think one, one major one too, I actually forgot to mention is uh, the ability to roll over five unused 529 funds into uh, Roth IRAs as well. So some interesting things that are taking place, definitely uh, an eye towards saving and definitely benefits those who are, or are planners with a lot of this stuff. And, uh, be interesting to see how some of this plays out. I mean, some of these things won't really kind of take effect for quite some time or won't really roll into effect or we probably won't see the results or lack thereof for, you know, several years. So should be interesting to uh, see how that plays out. 
This is, uh, I guess, the final episode for 2022, which is pretty crazy. It's been a pretty, pretty wild year. You know, we mentioned, I guess, early and late this summer that Clark was stepping away. And uh, so I'm kind of wrapping up some of those final episodes that uh, he and I have kind of recorded together. And uh, we'll be kind of having some, some interesting things to announce here uh, upcoming. So... With that, let's uh, move into this week's episode. We've got Brian's in his 30s, late 30s, with three kids. He's, he's in sales now after becoming a chiropractor. He's got a $1.3 million net worth, about $470,000 of that's in retirement accounts, $350,000 of that's in investment real estate amongst 14 uh, doors, basically, and $180,000 in a primary residence. He's got about $20,000 529 some cash. And just shy of about a couple hundred grand in, in a brokerage account. So really great to sketch with Brian on, on kind of making a career switch and just the overall general um, desire that uh, that he's had to continue to grow and where that puts him now in his life and, and adjusting those goals uh, after getting to a certain level. So great episode with him. Last week we had Anne. She's in her mid-50s net worth around $3.6 Single as a manufacturer. Works as a manufacturing engineer. A great episode with her. You want to check that out. That's episode number 273. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode this week with Brian. Brian, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so I am in software sales. Uh, I actually graduated as a chiropractor uh, several years ago, about 10 years ago, and I got into sales a little bit after that, a few years into practice, and now I have three kids, and I'm in my late 30s, and just living every day to the fullest, really. Awesome, and what's your net worth today? Uh, 1.3 million. And how is that broken up? So we break it up mainly between uh, real estate investments and the market, pretty much right down the middle. So I've got about 50 in cash, 50,000 in cash, uh, broke between a brokerage and mutual fund, about 185, which is obviously in the market, uh, 529s at about 20,000. Uh, the retirement funds, about 470,000. Uh, real estate investments at about 350,000. And primary residence at about 180. So real estate together is about 530,000. Okay. And is the primary residence paid off? Oh, no. No, not at all. We, uh, we just moved and had sold our other, our other house uh, up north and moved, moved south and just bought a house last year. So we're on a new 30-year mortgage. Okay. And have you always done 30-year mortgages? Yes. Well, this one, yes. Real estate, some of my duplexes, yes. Real estate-wise, I like to do the 30. Um, I had a 15 on the last primary residence, and I realized when I sold it, I had too much kind of what I call dead equity in that house. So I uh, moved that into uh, real estate investment properties and on this new house. But I try to stick to the 30 with the low interest rates. To me, it just, and you guys are mainly the same way, where it just makes sense with the math to in my opinion, I'm locking those low interest rates. Yeah. You mentioned debt equity, and that's something that, that I want to touch on just because I don't think that we have on the show yet. How do you maybe explain that for our listeners and then also you know, give us your thoughts on, on how you wrap your mind around debt equity and, and kind of what at what point do you decide, hey, I need to relieve some of that quote-unquote debt equity? Yeah, so when it came to, to my primary residence, I was on a 15-year mortgage, and I only had – I was about halfway paid off on it. So I had a bunch of equity sitting there, and I realized that this, by paying this off, to me, it's just money that's just sitting in this house, which I could deploy this. I could be making more money from the money that was just sitting there in that house. Like I could have a cash-flowing asset like another duplex or 
uh, a, a quad for that matter. You know, I've got a lot of real estate I could buy that could actually bring me more money than the than paying off this three percent loan and sitting that money right in my house that I live in that I'm just paying more money on each month. So I wanted to take the equity in the house and deploy it into a cash flowing asset like real estate or you know some people invest in the market, but personally I lean towards real estate. So would you ever do a cash out, cash out refi on that? Is that the plan you know is for forever essentially is to relieve all that debt equity with cash out refis or sales or what what's the mindset and thought process through that? Yes, either cash out refi or sales. Right. If you're gonna, if I've got enough equity in the house, then you can. I would sell it and deploy it elsewhere. Right. And you know, some people will lean towards syndications with that money, which is probably where I'm going to lean in the future. <laughs> Honestly, um, I started with purchasing some duplexes, and uh, I've got a five unit. So I've got about 14 total units, all between um, uh, three tries, some tries, some quad, uh, a five unit, and some duplexes, and eventually those would over time be paid off, but I'm not going to be in them that long, most likely. So I will take that and deploy it elsewhere once we feel like the kind of met the, met what we've gotten out of it, out of that, that unit, if you will. Yeah. And in terms of dollar figures or percentage, how do you think about, Hey, at this point, this is enough debt equity. I'm going to make the exchange, whether it's sell or 1031 or, or et cetera. Yeah, it's a great point. It depends on uh, really the, the asset itself, right? I have one that doesn't perform as well, okay? So maybe it was a, a rush of a buy by me when I had a lot of extra cash and I was looking to deploy it into, into real estate. It wasn't the best buy by me. So it's something like that. It's not the most perform, best performing asset, even though it cash flows and it's doing fine, but I feel like I can get better return elsewhere. But I don't look at it. I won't sit there and, and just look at the numbers all day long and worry about those types of things. I really don't. I want a cash flowing asset and I want to go on the rest of my life. Right? I think too much of my probably earlier 30s and late 20s was thinking about, am I doing exactly the right thing? Right? I, I want to produce you know, the most amount of return for my investments and am I doing everything right? And, and really, for, for, especially for those real estate investments, I don't have to worry about it to, the, to every single dime or to get the exact best return out of it. I mean, you just want to make educated decisions and get the best out of your money, but not have to worry about it every day. Have you lived in any of those duplexes or tries? No. So uh, when I first, I bought my first one as a student rental because it was a great uh, market for that type of an asset. And so I have a student rental. And then from there, uh, I moved to long-term, kind of what I call, you know, more of a normal tenant, not students, uh, which is managed. Managed by all managed by property manager, and I never lived in any of them. I mean, if I could do it over again, like I gave the advice to my sister, I said, "Hey, if you could," and this is when I got into bigger pockets. I was like, "Hey, you should, uh, you should probably." When she was ready to buy, I said, "You should probably buy a duplex and live in it." And so she did that exact thing, you know, the house hack and and build the equity that way, and it's doing great for her. But you got it's like the time and a place for everything. I probably missed out on that because I already had twins at the time when I started uh, getting into real estate. So no, I did not have the opportunity to do that. So did you purchase those with 20% down then? Yes, purchased all those with 20% down. Uh, get the you know the, the best rate possible uh, at the 20%. With less than four, you can get your you know your 30-year mortgage. And then the ones that I had to buy with, you know, I bought a five-unit that had to be a commercial loan. But yes, all, all 30 years on the duplexes. So walk us through one of those, Brian. What are the numbers? How much are you buying them for? What do they rent for? How much you put 20% down? How much is that? 
Yeah, great question. So uh, my, I started off in upstate New York where what we say there is you buy for cash flow. You don't really buy for that appreciation. It's not a highly appreciating market in, I mean, far upstate. And so uh, I would say you can generally buy, like I bought a normal one with there would be say between 100 to 120 for a duplex. I got a really good deal on a, on a three unit for like 105, right? That was a steal, right? And then that, you know, with, with rents are a little over two grand a month. And, and total, obviously. Total, yes. And then from there, obviously, we kick off our expenses and PITI, et cetera. So I cash flow, you know, on, I have 14 units uh, up north, and I'll cash flow about, uh, on average, about 4,500 to five grand a month after everything is paid. So it's really good, really good return for the cash flow that what I get. So that's why I buy it for cash flow there, but you don't get the type of appreciation you get in other markets. Yeah, so your mortgage payment, uh, I don't know, loans about what, hundred thousand at three and a half, whatever, maybe you're lower at three or something, but about a five hundred dollar mortgage payment. Yeah, is that right? yeah, it's really not bad at all. The taxes get you in New York. It's not the best place to, for taxes, sure, but uh, tell me yeah, about it. <laughs> the, uh, the the price of the properties themselves are, are low enough that it kind of equates. So you're cash flowing. What is it like a thousand bucks a month? Eight hundred dollars a month after repairs, for the most and part, insurance yeah. and everything on yep. something like that. Exactly. Okay. And how do you how did you find them? I've done every single one of my deals for real estate has been off market. I've never went on market for a deal. Um, it's just all networking. I just got on the forums and been able to connect with people and just kind of tell them what I'm looking for. And I found another guy who was a similar situation with a property head property manager. So that snowballs into finding me a deal and then talking to the property manager who works with other investors. And it's just that networking component allowed me to come across people that were looking to unload and I was looking to buy, so got a few of them that way. Okay, and, and tell me again, you just said it, but how many units in, in total cash flow? It's about 6000 a month, and you said 15 units? I've got 14, 14. long-term okay. rentals. I have. I just bought a beach house, and that's a short-term rental. That's obviously a lot more money. It was about five fifty, five hundred fifty thousand. So that's a different that's a different ball game. That's a whole ball different ball of wax, you know. Then because I've managed that myself, and it performs better. I'll, I'll do a lot better. I haven't gone through a full season with it, um, but that's more hands-on. But with, for, for my 14 units up north, yeah, it's about 4,500 to five grand a month in cash flow. So you don't live by those, Brian. You, you hire a property manager for all that. How often do you go up there? I still have family up there, so we'll go up a few times a year. Like I was just back up for the holiday, and we used to live up there, so that's how I have my team there. Right? I've got my maintenance guy. I've got people I know there, property manager. So it's I mean, it's pretty hands off. My my wife and I, we would snowbird in with we had our twins, and my wife was a teacher, and she stopped teaching, and I was always remote. We were homeschooling and remote before it was cool with COVID. So, we would always go to Florida in the winters, and then go back up to New York. <laughs> <laughs> back up to New York, we were the thirty-year-old snowbirds, and we realized we could do a lot of stuff remotely. So, a lot of like the management of these could be done with my property manager and and what I needed to do. So when it came time to an opportunity to move south, we we did that and we moved south. And so I could keep those there and, and have my short-term rental and live down here on the near the ocean. And how much do you pay the property manager? They're 10%. Okay, got it. And then let me just jump back to the to the stuff in the market because you're pretty 50-50 here, market real estate, if you count the primary home for Correct. equity. Correct. I assume nothing fancy there, index funds, mutual funds in the market? Correct. Index funds, mutual funds, exactly it. Uh, I started saving and like maxing out the 401k as soon as I could, right? When I got a, a job that offered it and my wife was always maxing out. She was teacher, so her 403b and then just rolled that into an IRA. So we got in retirement accounts, you know, just almost uh, 500,000. And it's just all from 
putting it away when we were younger and having no idea because I'm 38 right now. So when we were in our mid to late 20s, we just stockpiled money away. We didn't have kids by then. So we were living cheap and just stockpiling into the market. And so when it came time, I had a conversation with a guy one day when I was at a conference and he kind of turned me on to real estate saying, hey, do you want all your money in the market? I'm like, it's a very good point. So I started investigating more of the real estate stuff and then got into um, really doing it hard, you know, for buying a, a couple units every year from there on out. So what was the goal from there to kind of be 50-50 on allocation or has that just kind of happened? It's just happened over time. I mean, I still go, I have a 401, you know, I have a W-2 job. So I get the 401k met, um, up to the match for that for its 5%. So I obviously contribute to that. And from there, we always talk about, you know, it's that, that age old question of, should I be maxing this out? And I'm, I'm 38, right? Do I want to wait 20 more years to be able to access this money? My wife and I always talk, and I always talk about it. Like that's gonna be a lot of money when we're that, when we're able to access this. So let's <laughs> let's you know maybe uh, try to enjoy some more of the finer things now while we can with our kids and and do some travel when we're allowed to and and not just stockpile it away for the end, but uh, live a little bit. So we do the company match, and then I invest. We still don't live crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? But that, that mindset of I got to save everything, we've kind of, it's hard because, you know, we don't grow up with a lot. We, my wife and I didn't grow up with a lot of money. We were high school sweethearts. And to make that shift, I've heard, uh, I've heard Jace talk about this too, is just making that shift to being like, okay, Brian, it's okay to spend some money now, <laughs> right? It's, it's all right to go get new golf clubs. It, I had to like really, really think about it when I'm like, okay, these are new clubs. Can I justify it? buying these? Do I play enough? When I really, I don't even know. And I tell my wife all the time, I go, you don't even know the money's gone, right? Just spend the $500 on new clubs. But that's like something I have to really think about because I, when we grew up, we didn't, we didn't have that, right? We didn't have that opportunity. So now that we actually have it, it's, it's a lot different of a mindset to become a little bit of a spender as opposed to just saving everything. When do you feel like that started to shift for you? Very recently. So probably within the last year or two. My wife, my wife and I, um, when we lived up in New York, she got Lyme disease. So it was really bad. It was undiagnosed for a while. And so we had a mind shift there of we want to, we want to be comfortable. And when you have Lyme disease and it goes untreated for a while, it, it's, it's not a good situation. And there's people that struggle with it all the time. And it's still, it's still something that still hurts her. So um, we, we want to make sure that our health, we take care of ourselves, but also that we do enjoy the days every day because there were days where she couldn't get out of bed, right? For, I mean, for months. And you, you don't have, it's like, the, the, you hear, I mean, we all have friends that go through health problems and stuff like that. And you want to make sure that we've decided that you want to make sure we can enjoy those days and that we spend it with our kids and we take them to do things and send, spend, I know you guys always ask the question, spend on experiences, right? You know, or also buy them some cool stuff every once in a while. <laughs> make our life fun. And it, so it's really happened in the last couple of years, being in our late 30s, that we kind of made that mind, mindset shift a little bit towards loosening up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, do you wish you would have, I'm, I'm just going back to where you said, you know, you crushed the savings in your 20s and 30s. Do you wish you would have spent more then? I mean, it's hard to say so because you're at $1.3 million, but looking back now, does it make you change your mind? Not at all. I don't like to live in rearview mirror for one. Um, like to look forward. I obviously learned from our mistakes, but 
I don't like uh, what shoulda, woulda, coulda. Like there really isn't anything I feel like we missed out on. We always talk about it. Are we are we doing what we want to do? I used to go to Florida for four five months out of the year, and I would rent my house out up north. I would make money going to Florida, <laughs> right? I was like, we're living a dream right now. <laughs> going to Clearwater Beach and hanging out for a month, going to Disney, taking the kids to get annual passes, go to Disney for three months while someone's renting my house up north. I was making more money going to Florida and doing that. So you can always look back and say, I wish I would have done this, that, but ah, no, man, we, uh, we like to look forward. So let me push you a little bit on the Roth here. You, uh, is the 401k traditional or Roth? Traditional. So that's 300 ish. You got a traditional IRA 150 Roth IRA 45. How come not more in the Roth IRAs? You know, I, I didn't know to put more in the Roth. <laughs> Honestly, um, I didn't need to before. I would just I would just autopilot into the 401k and then it rolled over into the four into um, between jobs, you know, and keep rolling over. And honestly, I never even really knew much about where to put it other than just put it in my 401k and not put it in the Roth. Recently, you know, if you if the, my accountant says, Brian, you should probably put this in the Roth IRA, then I do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I lean on people, right? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a genius, right? And I don't think any of us are. There's always counsel you can take with everything. And I'm sure I've made mistakes, right? We, we all do. But for me, I, I always lean on other people that probably know more than I do about certain things like that. And should I, couldn't I continue to put it in the Roth? Yes, I probably will moving forward after, you know, educating myself enough that I probably will. How much professional advice do you pay for? Uh, let's, oh, I have a CPA and part of that group is I work with a financial planner, financial, I guess, financial planner, financial planner. And that's really it. Just those two guys. Your financial planner, do you pay him on your portfolio? Yes. And what is that? Oh, it depends on how much you have in there. Let's see. He's got, it's like a percent, 1% advisory fee schedule, 1% up to a certain amount. And then it goes lower and lower after you get higher. So about 1%. And you're paying that quarterly or annually? Quarterly. Okay. So Brian, where do you where do you go from here? You get a target net worth down the road that you want to hit, or passive income, or you know, you mentioned getting into some syndications. What's the goal? What's the plan down the future? It's a great question. You guys ask this question to everybody, and I think I answer it differently in my head uh, when I'm on my run, like I was yesterday, and I listened to the episode. Like, you know what? What is next? What is the plan? And I feel like. Uh, Life changes, as we mentioned, we went through you know a life changing event, and then we had a kid right after that, right? So I mean, we had twins, and we were done. We had boy girl twins, and then we get Lyme disease, and then we um, we have another baby. So I don't think you can say there's I know what's next or I know what I'm doing all the time. Other than I want to have flexibility, right? I want to make sure I keep enough in that. And with the you know I've got 185,000 in brokerage and mutual fund that I can be mobile with if I need to on any sort of quote emergencies or anything like that. I don't have a specific net worth goal, right? We want to um, get passive income enough. I think that the goal should be in, in it for me and will be is the, the passive income, you know, close to about the 10 grand a month, right? Our annual expenses are only about six grand a month. I mean, I'm almost there right now. I'm pretty much there right now. Um, I don't, I tell my, my, my buddy who I work with, I'm like, I don't, and he's my manager. It's like, I don't really have to sell anymore. All right. I, I'm pretty good as to what we can do and live our life happy but I love it. So I'll continue to work. We'll continue to stockpile money. We'll continue to um, invest 
but I think it's most important for us to just continue to make sure that we have enough saved, not just now, but whatever comes in life. Life's expensive. It, I mean, stuff comes up, and you want to make sure you're prepared for it. Uh, losing a grandparent recently and, you know, having my grandma in a, in a home makes you think about long-term stuff, long-term care, um, planning for that future. So money helps. So <laughs> yeah, having it and keeping it and investing it is what we're going to continue to do. Is there at any point, whether it's net worth or passive income, where you will think about walking away and, and, and being completely retired? I, 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 I think that it could be hard to stop. Right. We're, as humans, I think we, we have that task-oriented mentality, well, I do anyway, where we got to get up and we got to get stuff done. And I like what I do. I, I'd say sometimes I'll probably, you know, in the coming years at some point, you might not like it anymore. That's why I want to have that security of, yeah, I could just walk away and I don't need to be here anymore. Like I said, I, I really love it. I'm remote. I've always been remote. So I work from my computer and still get to go down and see the baby and pick kids up from school. And I'm flexible. And I don't know. It, I really don't know. I mean, it can change. You know, it can change in five years. It can change in in two years. So I'll keep pushing for you know that passive income goal, just so we have that security. You know, I think security is the biggest thing that we want to achieve as for, from a financial standpoint. Making sure we're good, right? Making sure we're good. The kids are good. Should anything ever happen, we're all we're all in a good place. So I don't know. I probably won't. Uh, won't walk away at least anytime soon because then we've also got that healthcare issue as well. Um, so I'll probably work <laughs> probably way too long. Gotcha. You mentioned that you've been remote basically from the beginning. Have the moves that you've made since you're not really tied to an office really been about unlocking some of that equity that you've gained in these houses? Not at all. No, I've only moved a couple times and it's because of necessity. Unlocking the equity was just something I needed to, I wanted to do um, with that last house because I'm like, holy cow, it's a lot of equity in this, and I can deploy it elsewhere. So that worked out in our favor. Um, no, I've been remote and just kind of got lucky with where we wanted to be and uh, the time of the market, right? Being able to to sell at, at a high point. Obviously, then have to buy at a high point, but I think we got a good deal on where we are now. So um, don't don't think it has anything to do with. Un- unlocking the equity at all. So for all intensive purposes, you're living essentially in the dream area you w- would love to, or want to be in essentially. Of course. It's exactly it. Yes. And I think that's a, a interesting thing because as a, this pandemic's played out, a lot of people have gone remote, moved, done different things. And a lot of people are evaluating, Hey, you know, maybe I won't be going back to the office for five days a week anymore. What do I want to do? And you've, you've essentially lived that life for, 15 plus years, right? Yeah, pretty much. Probably about 10 years, but yeah, that's exactly it. Interesting. So what do you plan on doing in terms of teaching your kids and and the next generation about the mistakes you've made, the things that you've learned, and how to continue, you know, on that path that that you've gone on? Yeah, we we talk about it all the time. My my wife and I are very open and um, she was a teacher, obviously, and she's a much better educator and coach than I am. That's for sure. And so she's really good at, um, kind of setting up those life scenarios and situations and talking to the kids about it, about the value of money, about what it can buy. Can we buy this at the store? Yes, we can. But is that good value? And we've done that since they were, you know, honestly, like four years old. So I think as it continues, it just becomes on a larger scale, right? We talk about the rentals all the time, right? They go to the Airbnb with me. They were there with me this weekend. We, we cleaned, we, you know, did some repairs, what we needed to do. So they're always understanding. And I'll talk to them about the money. I'll tell them how much it costs. We'll talk to them about 
what the cash flow is. We talk about all of it, and they're you know third grade, but we put it all out in the open. Let me just switch here, Brian, and ask about your real estate and the cash. So you got 50K cash, right? Correct. So with the 14 units or 15 units in your primary residence, does that make you want to hold more cash? I don't know what more means, right? Maybe your emergency fund is, say, 10 or 20, and you say, hey, actually, I'm holding 50 because I might have something pop up. But how do having those rentals affect your cash balance, just pure cash holdings? It's a good question. Uh, the You're talking pretty much like, okay, do I have enough in an emergency fund? Yeah, and I probably and don't. Repair, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and your, yeah, your repairs, stuff like that. I mean, we will have roofs and we'll have water heaters and we'll have furnaces that that go, and we'll, we'll need to do those. I have, I, I probably should keep a little bit more cash, and I probably will as I um, kind of get this one rolling. I just bought a five unit about six months ago that needed about twenty grand of work, so um, I just finished plunking that in there so we could get that rent ready, and that's a cash machine. So we let that machine run for a little while and it'll build it right back up. Um, but I keep, and I kind of always thought about this too, is, is the, the mutual fund and the brokerage, yes, I keep it there in the market, but I can get to that money, right? If something comes up and I need 15 grand, I can very easily liquidate some money and get to that. So I don't really, it doesn't, I'm not really concerned about it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So in your twenties and thirties, when you were pouring money at the market and putting money in and saving, 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 did you worry about money? Were you worrying about money or did you strategically know what you were doing? You say what time period was that? No, in your, in your twenties and thirties, were you worrying about money? Is that kind of what drove you to go so aggressive or did you think, Hey, you know, do you, did you think about it so often? Did you worry about money at all? Consciously all the time. I mean, it's, I'm in sales, man. We chase, we chase money. It's kind of, it's kind of what we do when it comes to um, what people get into sales. And it's, you get that, they always teach you that, you know, that's what managers do. That's what companies do. It's a sales driven world. So there's always that carrot of more money and the best, I mean, it's mostly the best salespeople are very good at that. And I wouldn't say I was worried. You just, you don't, you don't know how much you really need, right? Especially when you're younger, um, what, what's, what's going to be down the road in five years, 10 years. So, our whole philosophy has always been just save as much as we can. We've always been very frugal. Um, I didn't do anything special here. Like I, we, we chatted on the pre-call, like, Brian, what, what makes you special? What should we focus on here? And there's really nothing, honestly, guys. I mean, this, that's why I love your show. And what we do is we didn't do anything out of the ordinary other than live below our means, not crazy below our means. I bought my wife a Mercedes, right? So we didn't do anything lavish, but other than buy them by my wife Mercedes, but we just saved, we saved on the, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I worried, I would worry about money because I didn't, I didn't have a lot growing up. Honestly, we lived in a small town with two, two streetlights. So there's no fast food. So we didn't, we weren't used to spending money. We just really didn't have a lot of it. So when we kind of got it, it was like, you still save it and you still work for it and you keep it because that's just what we're used to. You know, it's kind of ingrained in us. We weren't spenders. So how did that affect you and why were you so, how did, how did you know to be so aggressive in your 20s and 30s? Where did that come from? My wife, she was a really good saver. Um, she was very, very good saver. So she was working right out of school, right out of college, that did not, you know, no mess around years, nothing like that, got right into it. Her parents have always ingrained that in her. They're both retired teachers. Um, my parents have a great work ethic. And I think that's just where it all comes from is just getting in there and doing a great job. I've got younger siblings, you know, an older brother who's a really, really good worker. So, you know, those people, when you have good role models around you, um, it, it kind of helps you. And then when you have to, you know, you got to try to 
do your best and not necessarily impress, but you want to make sure that you're working to show your siblings how it can be done. And my, my wife and I have always just been very strong when it came to working our best, wanting to excel. Whether when we grew up playing sports, and that's a competitive edge of wanting to be the best. And when you have that and you work hard, the rest just kind of plays out in your favor. I tell kids, the younger at our company all the time, keep your head down, do your job. It's like the Patriot way. I'm not a Patriots fan by any means, but do your job, keep your head down, and everything is going to work out for you if you have a good head on your shoulders. Yeah. So you mentioned before we started recording, you said that your initial goal was to make 100K by 30 to be millionaire by 40 and then 6k of, of passive income a month so i just want to share that because i think it's interesting but was goal setting a big part of your success here i don't think it was a big part of my success i just wanted to have something to shoot for right when i was you got to write them down and you got to see your goals uh, so probably subconsciously yes right i mean you have that goal of this is what i want to get to i want to get there but i'm not going and cutting everything just to get to a million dollars by 40. It just, it just happened because of the way we set our life up. Uh, I am one of those people that, yes, you do throw a goal out there, we're going to go get it, right? I'm in sales, we have a quota, and I hit my quota. Right? I'm in high school, and I have to beat a track record, so I write the track record down, and then I go and beat it. Because goals help you work to your fullest advantage. And so, in my opinion, yeah, probably did. <laughs> probably. I'm, I'm, I've gotten those goals. I just don't know what else to do from here now, other than just be a good dad and husband. So what what motivates you now? Back then, it was, I mean, I assume starting early on, it was money, and, and you said you kind of grew up poor, right? So getting out of that situation, saving aggressively, what is it now? Taking care of the family, you know, taking care of them to make sure that they can live a great life, um, giving them everything that they can, even they don't know it, but, you know, preparing them for the future. And it's not just through money, it's it's by being a present father, right? And not having to go do things I don't want to go do or go places that, you know, force me to be gone for a while. And, you know, being able to take care of my wife when she doesn't feel good. And like just the, the health and happiness of the family and, and making sure that, you know, you can provide for them and give them some cool stuff along the way. Has the financial freedom, I mean, I guess you could say, what, what, well, let's, let me back up here. What's your annual spending? Spend around six grand a month, so it's about seventy, you know, seventy-two, six, eight, seventy-five. All right, so, so, so you're basically covered, right, with that, with that, pretty much cash yeah. flow. So you have financial freedom, must call it. I mean, you'll have a few more rentals here, then you'll get to the ten k, you'll be above it. Has that affected confidence, happiness levels? I know you guys ask this question all the time too, and <laughs> I don't think so. It's just the security. It's just the, the worry. But then I still worry about renters and I still worry about maximizing those, getting everybody in the in the rentals. So I still, I'm always going to worry. Once you have kids, you never stop worrying about anything. So it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it makes you happier. It's just the, pe- the person that you are. Um, people can be happy on a lot less. They really can. And people probably strive for a lot more and, and are happy to it's i think that's more of your own mentality than anything sure a- any bad experiences with your real estate any of the rentals oh there's all there's always a story right there's always something uh <laughs> the stu- the last students i had i mean student rentals are a whole different ball game i mean the kids are they're they're not the they're not the brightest sometimes um and they just you know sometimes they get in their their drama with each other that's the hardest as they hard dealing with those tenants but it's the best cash flowing one I have, so I keep it. Yeah, they're 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 bad sometimes where they 
they beat the place up or, you know, someone just crashed a car in the driveway and then just left and left it there. I was like, all right, I guess we'll get rid of this. Gosh. So let, let's talk career. Um, how'd you get into sales and, and how have you been able to move up through your career? Any career advice? Uh, so I, I graduated as a chiropractor in, so I went to undergrad for biology and chemistry. And then I went to chiropractic school and practiced for a couple of years in New York. And it wasn't what I had anticipated. I loved the office, but the way that the reimbursement was, was not, like I busted my butt. I was a very good student and I was going to make maximum like 60k a year which i wanted I, I i wanted more i had no time off i had no retirement nothing and my wife was making a lot more than me as a teacher and had all summer off and full benefits so i got into sales because i saw that as like i had buddies that were in sales in medical sales and pharmaceuticals and i'm like i know you i went to school with you i know your work ethic and what you can do i know what i can do so i know i can do this and so i got a job in sales and i loved it ever since just have been able to like I said before, keep your head down, do your job, know what your job is supposed to be. Always be educating yourself on getting better. You're not going to be the best. You'll never be the best. I can tell my son, he's into sports. I'm like, just keep working hard because there's always going to be somebody bigger, faster, and stronger than you. It's the same thing in your career, right? If you, you're never going to be the best at what you do, most likely. So do your best, work your hardest and keep your head down and it'll work out for you. Awesome. Well, let's move into to some rapid fire questions, Brian. What's the most expensive meal out you've paid for? Oh, not a ton. Uh, my wife and I and kids, we eat kind of small, uh, eat local, don't go crazy. I took my parents to like a Mother's Day brunch when they let us stay at their house for a month because we were overlapping our, our uh, snowbird stay with them for a month. So I took them out to brunch for like a Mother's Day thing and I think it was like 150 bucks. That's about it. Okay. What, uh, I guess the car, we know the Mercedes. How much was the Mercedes? 60000 Okay, and was that brand new? It was a year old. Okay. What uh, has been the most expensive experience or vacation that you've taken and paid for? Uh, let's see. Took the, well, we did the annual pass at Disney for a couple years. <laughs> That's pricey. But probably um, go to all-inclusive. We just, back when the world was non-COVID, we would do the uh, all-inclusive down in Caribbean. So that'd probably be one of those for a few grand for the week. Okay. What's still on the bucket list that you haven't done yet that you want to do? We'll do Europe. We've, I've never been to Europe. My wife hasn't either. So we'll, we'll do that. That's something, you know, later on stages of life, right? Seasons of life. They'll, well, that'll come along uh, and that'll be one of them once we can, we don't have a baby anymore. Yeah. We can do it. Okay. What, uh, What's been the uh, range of annual income? See, when I graduated Cairo school first year, I made $40,000. My wife was making probably in the 60s and 70s. So I'd say that would be our starting point. So a little over 100. Um, she stopped working and then I was up over 100,000. So we started right around there. It our low point um, annually. And then a high point will be about 180,000. That's just W-2 income. Yep. Okay. What... Uh how much TV do you watch a week? Ooh, that's a new question. Um, I love sports, so I'm going to watch a lot of Syracuse basketball and college football. So <laughs> I do a lot of sports. So like Sundays, you know, we'll throw on uh, Red Zone. But when it comes to like sitcoms or shows or anything like that, um, maybe an hour a night before bed. So nothing crazy. Okay. How many books do you read a year? Two to three, probably. Okay. What do you do to relax? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have three kids that are active, 
So I don't sit down and relax all that much. And I'd say if I could sit down and relax, it would just be up by the pool. We're putting in a pool right now. So um, just hang out by the pool with the family. And I love uh, craft beer. So have an IPA. Okay. And play golf. Play some golf. Awesome. All right, Brian, to wrap up here, what advice would you give somebody who's just starting out on their investment journey? Yeah, just start if you're just starting out on your investment journey, just stockpile as much as you can. The market goes up and to the right. So I'll throw it into a you know, VTI or VTSAX, whatever platform you want to use and think about think about yourself in five years, in ten years. It's hard to do. Delayed gratification as as humans is one of the hardest things you can do. So throw that money into, you know, whether it's your four oh one K or IRA or brokerage and you don't need it now. You really don't save as much as you can in those twenties, and you will and work hard. You can save so much money in your twenties, ways that you don't even understand, and you will not miss out on life. And then your thirty and forty year old self will thank you so much just by putting that money away. Awesome, that's Brian. Net worth one point three million dollars in climbing. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks guys. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.